Welcome to Prime Alpha's interview series, insights from industry practitioners discussing their journey and their discoveries. Hello, my name is Amanda Jogia, the CEO of Prime Alpha, an online ecosystem bringing together alternative opportunities and their investors. Today, I would like to introduce Jillian Musig and Ann Kennedy, Managing Directors of the Sibylla Masters Fund. The Masters Fund invests in women-led early-stage tech companies using a structured equity investment model to mitigate risk and improve outcomes for both investors and entrepreneurs. Hello, ladies. Welcome. Hello, Amanda. It's good to have uh, be here, and uh, I'm here with my colleague, Ann Kennedy. Hi, Amanda. Hi. It's so great to have you guys. It's been uh, some time. I know there's a lot going on with you guys. Certainly is. So let's get started. Um, let's talk about your journey here. Tell us about your, your career journey. Well, Anne and I were colleagues in the field of search engine optimization from the early, very early days in that industry. Uh, we built our companies and we helped build that industry. It gave us a seat at the table, as it were, on how successful companies are built in emerging industries. So we met and we became friends at conferences around the world. And, you know, we were cementing our brands uh, everywhere. And uh, we both had happy exits around the same time, about 2011, 2012. So considering what we'd like to do next over a really good bottle of wine on the Oregon coast, we decided that uh, we had earned the right to have a lifestyle company. <laughs> We'd already done the scalable thing and Outlines Venture Group was formed uh, to provide uh, board directorship, advisory services. And we did that in exchange for a bit of equity in companies where we felt that we could get behind the mission and add value. So over the ensuing years, um, we took deep dives into the number around conventional venture capital, and we found them, how should I say this delicately, Anne, wanting. <laughs> no kidding. Um, it was difficult to build scalable companies in our time. In truth, it was often well nigh impossible being on the other side of the table, as uh, Mark Suster likes to, likes to put it. Um, even today, uh, women receive just over 2% of conventional venture capital in the US and less than 1% throughout the UK and the EU. And as we were looking at women-led companies in our portfolio, we realized there's a problem here. And mm -hmm. since, you know, we're at an age where we figured, here's a problem, let's go fix it and see what we could do about it. Um, so what we learned is that mixed gender teams, even um, led by men and women, receive 10%. And almost 100% of those have men in the CEO position. And as women who had led companies ourselves, we found this unacceptable. Um, and women were not, and they still are not all getting the capital needed to build their companies other than a few outstanding ones that you hear a lot about in the press, but they're very few. Absolutely. So the gender issue in conventional venture capital and combined with the overall returns, I think should really give all investors and even civic leaders for that matter some pause. According to the Kaufman Foundation and the Center for American Entrepreneurship in Washington, D.C., and many other research groups, right, because we really did a dive on this, right, the numbers are as follows. 80% of all venture-backed companies are going to fail in five years, and even more fail later on. 16% on average will operate, but they neither sell nor hold an IPO. And that means they return nothing to their funds or investors. 
because the only off-ramp is an exit. You have only two choices, a sale or an IPO. Now, just under 4%. Uh, 3.785%, to be precise. Yes, ma'am, you are right. <laughs> but less than 4% of venture-backed companies have what we would refer to as that happy exit. And a happy exit, I should point out, is defined as two times gross ROI. Not enough to cover the high costs of operating a fund. I would agree. So additionally, the Kaufman Foundation reports that 51% of all venture capital funds do not return invested capital to their investors. 51%. And yet, as they sing in Evita, the money keeps rolling in. Clearly, something has to give. Yes. I would say that the question is begged. Have venture capitalists really made a mistake on 96% of their investment decisions? And at this point, most people kind of chuckle and they say, you know, well, I really never thought of it that way and so on. And I would postulate, how else would you like to think about it? It's the job of fund managers to achieve an ROI for the fund. And 96% of their investments do not. In truth, we do not believe that conventional VCs are making mistakes on 96% of their investments. It's the investment thesis to make wildcard bets on many companies and burn almost all of them in the search of a unicorn company that will see a billion plus dollar exit and carry the capital investment weight of the entire fund. That's true, that's precisely so. Uh, but we do believe that the 0.006% of all companies that do seek venture capital and do actually obtain it really are the finest companies on the planet. I don't think they're making a mistake on that. But I do think that conventional venture capital is not a good match for almost all of them. And that plays out with the numbers. It's really a good match for 4% right, or less. And the very nature of that capitalization process is killing off far too many of those companies. And as for investors, the most common complaint from individuals, family office managers, institutional asset allocators, you know, with early stage investments, and, you know, is the length of the capital lockup time. Time is a risk factor. It's a cost factor. And the average conventionally funded company that does achieve that elusive happy exit takes almost 16 years now to do so. Right? That's not sustainable for many investors. Anne and I aren't young bucks in our 30s anymore. You know, we, we don't have that know-it-all special powers to pick winners and that stuff. It's rubbish. And it's clearly demonstrated by the numbers. Right? If we wait 16 years for an investment to come out, we're too old to care. Too many investors are in the same boat, right? Since 1997, conventional venture capital returns have not kept pace, even with the S&P 500. That's not an ROI that is commensurate with the risk of the asset class. There's a lot to unpack here. It was not one statistic or another that made us resolve to develop a more nuanced funding model or even inspired us uh, to figure out how to capitalize entrepreneurs in ways that would mitigate risks and build more paths to exit so their investors can see earlier steady returns. It was all of them. So what led you to create Masters Fund? The leaders of the Women in Cloud Accelerator and Summit at Microsoft gave us the kick 
that launched the master's fund. Take it away, Jillian. <laughs> yes, it was. So after years, I mean, we, we formed this in what, 2011, 2012 and so on, right? Um, and after years of urging the community of venture capitalists to uh, form a gender lens in, uh, investment fund, to look for unicorns among diverse founders, to consider how to improve the numbers, which are really badly affecting everyone, um, entrepreneurs, their employees, the communities that support these startups, and of course, the LPs who bear the brunt of the poor returns, right? Finally, I got a call on late December of 2017 from the Women in Cloud founders who basically said, get it done, Jillian, no one else is going to do it. <laughs> so uh, I called Anne and we agreed to uh, create a tidy fund and uh, put this together and start focusing on it. Um, I got on the stage at that first Women in Cloud Summit in Redmond at Microsoft and I announced intention to form an investment fund to sustainably capitalize diverse teams with women at the helm. And they've got to be building technologies that enable us to live and work together in better ways. That's amazing. Can you explain the structured equity investments model and how it is different from what you are calling conventional venture capital? Sure, Amanda. Um, we use a structured equity investment model. And this means that we invest in redeemable preferred stock in our portfolio companies. At the time of investment, our portfolio companies agree to redeem their stock, which means literally buy it back from the fund at a preset multiple. And they do so on a structured uh, exit schedule. The schedule is set by the amount of time, or excuse me, the, the returns are set by the amount of time that the company is going to want to use that capital. And the whole thing hinges, of course, on good financial projections. We have to model out when we anticipate that with the investment, the company can now achieve certain gross revenues and increasing gross margins, if that's part of the deal. And, and we can figure out at what month down the road they are likely to be able to achieve what we call the gross revenue goal. At that point, they take a percentage of their gross revenue and they begin to buy back the stock. They redeem it from our fund. By the time it's all done, right, we have, if you will, an earlier, steadier return for our LPs. The company has been able to onboard investors and offboard the investors with a reasonable ROI that's commensurate with the risk of the asset class. So we ask very different questions, right? That's how we do redeemable preferred investments using a structured equity model. So what about the upside potential of venture capital? Well, it's the upside is kind of what we all hope for, right? It's that unicorn exit and so on. But we know how rare that is, less than 4% on average. So what we do is create an investment model that says, let's address the great middle, if you will, most of the companies that can be capitalized and preserve the upside potential for investors. So what we say to our investors, for example, is in the unlikely event, and it is very unlikely, right, that the company does exit within 60 months, five years, of the time they redeem their last piece of uh, redeemable preferred stock, we have survivable warrants. We employ the survivable warrants at 50%, and in this unlikely event, we still get to participate, right? And a happy exit, but at 50%, because we've already seen a very solid two, three, or four X, and so on, right? We've already seen our solid return. 
So we feel that that's a good balance. We're not the only ones playing this game. There are so many people devising, if you will, not new, but rather a broader group of investment models that are going to address the needs of far more companies than conventional venture capital does, right? I mean, conventional venture capital was invented in 1946 as we know it today, and Georges Doriot and friends thought it was going to be 2% of the companies that would come out and make a return, and the rest would not yield anything. It was fine. It was a moonshot hit, right? We still use that terminology today. The problem is that we are slathering an investment model over all the companies in the startup sectors, technology or not, and that's not appropriate. So we're looking at more appropriate models. We're not all things to all companies. We're very good match for companies that either don't wish to exit, they wish to remain privately held. We're good for companies that are headed to the conventional venture capital world, but they need to achieve certain goals between the time they hit the market with a product. So product in the market, somebody's agreed to buy it. They've paid for it. We know that it's kind of the earliest product market fit is already set. And we put in that what Anne calls the um, jet fuel to make sure that this company can reach the goals that get them to a very solid Series A negotiation. The, the entrepreneurs get to put a few shares of stock back in their pocket at a reasonable ROI, right? I mean, it's expensive capital, let's say 3X or 4X or whatever. It's expensive capital, but nowhere near so as expensive as conventional venture capital, which kind of looks at a 10X minimum and hopefully at hundreds of X. It's appropriate for some companies, but not for most. So we fill in some of the space. Thank you so much for your time. Um, personally, um, I really appreciate the fact that you're providing that jet fuel for women-led businesses. It's so needed and you speak to those numbers um, and it's critical that we get more involved. So Jillian and Anne, thank you so much. And we'll drop in the contact information to this podcast. So please reach out to them. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to Thank leave you. our listeners with one thought. Over more than a quarter of a century of data in the private sector, women-led companies, and specifically women-led gender diverse companies, have returned an average of 35% higher ROI to their investors. And in the public sector, if you get 30% or more women in the C-suite and or on the board of directors, 37% higher ROI. My best tip in investments is you cannot guarantee that you're going to get a return on investment, but you're sure as shooting can mitigate the risk. Scrub the portfolio. Focus on finding your unicorns in uncrowded fields. Thank you.